Shall we look at now some uh, players who we think are going to be looking good for the next few weeks? Um, not specifically Manchester City. Uh, I've got here, I've highlighted a few teams that I think could do really well over the next few weeks who have had either changes in management or particularly hard fixtures recently so that their players don't look as good of a value as I think they are. Right, um, okay. There's, there's two teams that I, I want to talk about, actually. Uh, Crystal Palace and Newcastle. So obviously Newcastle have now appointed Eddie Howe as their new manager, which means that I think Eddie Howe uh, reunites with Callum Wilson, um, Ryan Fraser, and one of the defenders, but I can't remember who. Uh, but the, the point is, I think that under Eddie Howe, Callum Wilson, when he was fit, was a very, very good asset to have. Uh, and their next few fixtures, if I can quickly read them out, are Brentford, Arsenal. Arsenal may be tricky. Uh, Norwich, Burnley and Leicester, who have conceded quite a few goals recently. All of those teams have conceded quite a few goals recently. Uh, and I think that Newcastle this season haven't actually had a problem scoring goals. It's been their defending that's been the problem. Uh, under Eddie Howe, right. I... Personally, I'm backing... Callum Wilson to do quite well, uh, especially with a lack of strikers at the moment. There's there is a distinct lack of strikers at the moment. Uh, I think Wilson could be. I'm not even sure if he's a differential anymore. I think he's about five to ten percent owned. Uh, I I think he could be a very good player going forward. If I um, look at some of his stats fairly recently. He's been looking good. When he's played, the problem is he's been injured for most of it. Uh, yeah. When he's played, he has been looking very good. And what I think, certainly for me personally, uh, there's still quite a few people who are stuck with uh, Alanson Maximan. Uh, so mm-hmm. while he may be a good value going forward, I think a sideways move to Wilson could be a good shout. Yeah. Um, another... Another team, like I said, that I want to mention is Crystal Palace. And I think this is definitely more promising in terms of attack. Um, So I had a look at... So obviously in the summer they signed Edward from the Scottish Premier League. And I had a look as to who starts between Edward and Benteke because they're in the same position. Or at least I thought they were. Uh, Benteke has started every single game for them. And Edouard has started playing on the wing. But that's not every game. So sometimes Edouard drops to the bench and Benteke starts. Uh, and sometimes they play together. So I think that's one to watch going forward. Because I think Benteke, he's been on all right form recently. He's got a couple of goals, nothing special. But he's had some fairly difficult fixtures. Uh, but I think with these easier fixtures, I think Benteke could certainly be a forward to, to look out for because I think a lot of people are looking to get rid of some of their forwards right now. Um, right. And I think Zaha is one to watch as well. Obviously, everyone knows about Conor Gallagher. There's no point going into him. <laughs> yeah. I think he, he's clearly been the best player. I think with Zaha, Enteke, Edward, and Gallagher, who was kind of a, a front four in most attacks, I think Crystal Palace could be very, very dangerous in the mm. near future. And if I quickly tell you what their fixtures are, they've got Burnley, Aston Villa, Leeds United, uh, Manchester United, who have been conceding a fair few goals, uh, Everton, Southampton and Watford. You know, and, and even after that, they've got Norwich. Um, so they've got some really good fixtures coming up. But I think Benteke is probably the one that I'd target. Um is looking good for. Is, is there anyone who's on your radar at all? That's I'm, I'm very. It's very interesting because you hit the nail on, um, on the head when it comes to what I was looking at for Newcastle in particular. Yeah, my the person on my radar is actually Wilson, and um, I was thinking because I had this. I have a few options that I want to go to, probably before the end of this week, where um, transfers are concerned. I don't want to make I. 
really would have loved to have all my transfers for this week um going into the next week especially as you know we discussed i have a few tricky fixtures coming up especially with Lamento and mccarthy um rafina has a few as well um yeah. i think smith will goes to liverpool so there are a few tricky fixtures in between this one of the things that i was contemplating was moving um vardy because vardy has chelsea even though he does has fix he does have very good fixtures right after um moving vardy to wilson for a weak punt in that I play Wilson for the week, I see how he looks, especially with um, the new manager. And the fact that Wilson, once he does play for Newcastle, does get returns, both assists and goals. Um, and the fact that, as you know, everybody has mentioned by now, the new manager um, usually means new returns, better returns for the team, especially in the short term. Mm. So I did, I did have him on my radar. Um, St. Maximin was any back winner, but I also know that St. Maximin is somebody who passes the eye test, but that's about it, um, in terms of points. So I don't know, I don't know if I go to him too much, but I definitely have put Wilson on my shortlist with, um, for persons that I want to bring in, especially with the lack of strikers that they are available who have been returning. Um, I wouldn't have minded as well, and I think you would have noticed already, um, Ronaldo. Because Manchester United's fixtures, I think most people have recognized by now. After, I think there's one tricky fiction in, in the, the next week. They play week Chelsea in... the following week. So next week they right. play Watford. They've got Chelsea exactly. after that. And then they go on a, a nice nice fixture run after that. Exactly. The only thing that is making me hesitant, obviously, is Manchester United's problems. Managerial-wise and playing-wise. I would have loved to have been able to go back to Ronaldo, especially for that Watford game, where I, I would want to expect that somebody gets an offensive return for Manchester United against a Watford team who doesn't really know how to keep a clean sheet at this point. Um, and that person mainly being Ronaldo because he'll be the, the, the centre of all the attacking attention. Um, but I don't want to have to do that to then see him blank against a Chelsea or see him blank again in, um, in both games. Um, especially with um, his price tag, which is the biggest issue for me. But he is on my radar. Manchester United assets in general would be on the back burner of the shortlist simply because of the the the, the very nature of their fixtures. Um, we all know anything can happen and with this Manchester United team right now. Really, anything can happen. So I think that would be that would remain to see. But my biggest target right now would be Wilson. And I think... Um, it might be. It wouldn't be a bad uh, attempt if he if he goes to Wilson and he gets points for you immediately because it has it has always been the way. And now with a new manager, um, that might be in- interesting. To speaking of him, especially uh, the new manager Eddie Howe, have you do you know him from any previous clubs that he's been with? Because um, I don't know the name per se. I was only just doing research on him and I asked the question in the group and somebody sent me something, uh, but I don't know too much about him. So he was the manager of Bournemouth and he brought them up from League Two in about twenty thirteen all the way to the, the Premier League mm-hmm. in about twenty or oh, when did they come up? Twenty seventeen possibly. Um maybe it was a little bit earlier they were in League Two. So I think in about in about the space of five seasons, I think they had three promotions from League Two. Um and I think Eddie Howe was fairly pivotal to that. Um yeah. The only the only teams that I obviously know him from has been Bournemouth. Um, I don't know after they got relegated. Obviously, I don't really follow the championship, so I don't know where he went after that, uh, or even if he even if he's come from there. I, I'm not actually too sure. Um, but the main reason I know him is because um, Bournemouth did well for a couple of seasons in the Premier League. Uh, Wilson scored a lot of goals. Um, for the most part, their front three were efficient when Bournemouth were attacking really well. Bournemouth were one of those teams where um, they were attacking, they were attacking a lot and not defending. They were almost like Leeds last season and how Brentford have kind of started this season. They attack a lot and they can put three goals past anyone, but then they concede a lot as well. And I think right. Bournemouth's problems, which is when they got relegated, was because weren't particularly defensively stable so when Callum Wilson got injured and I think Josh Josh King 
who was playing for them at the time, picked up an injury. They, they didn't have their attack power, and they were losing most games 2 or 3-0, and they just spiralled downwards. Right. So that, 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 that's Eddie Howe's background. Um, like I said, I don't know too much about where he came from before Bournemouth in League 2. His his main job has been keeping Bournemouth in the Premier League for a couple of seasons, scoring a lot of goals, which is why Wilson was quite high on my list because I think Eddie Howe knows exactly how Wilson plays and he knows how Fraser plays. So I think there's every chance that he could link them up together really well and, and they could yeah. see good things. Mm-hmm. Um, if, I, if I quickly... Cause you mentioned... I uh, just want to go back to where you mentioned... Um, you were looking at Ronaldo. I think yeah. since um, since the five nil thumping from Liverpool, uh, Manchester United have set up differently in the next two games. They've played a whole lot more defensively. Uh, so in the first uh, first week after that Liverpool beating, they played Tottenham and they won three nil, right. and they changed from a back four to a back five. So they've introduced Eric Bailly into the into the mix and now they're back free instead of just uh, Maguire and Lindelof is Maguire, Lindelof and Bailly as a three. So Wan Bissaka and Luke Shaw are defending and attacking as part of a kind of like a midfield. Um and obviously they had a lot of success in that game. Uh I think Luke Shaw got an assist in that game. And we saw Sancho got dropped and we saw Mason Greenwood, uh, sorry, we we saw Cavani, Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes as a front three. Um, and interestingly, going yeah. into the next game against Manchester City, he kept that same formation. So I, they had a back three with Bailly at the back again. Um, but this time, instead of Cavani, who I think might have played midweek, if I remember rightly, they started uh, Fernandes, Greenwood and Ronaldo. So I, I think this might be the new Manchester City United formation going forward where they play a back three, two wing backs in one Saka and Shaw, but Tomine and Fred, Bruno Fernandez, and then Ronaldo and either Cavani or Greenwood, depending on how much rest they've had. So I think I think for Manchester United, I, I personally I think this is a much better way of them playing. I think it's much more balanced the way they're playing now where they're more defensively stable. And uh, looking at their next few fixtures where they've got Watford next. I, I would like to see Ronaldo and Cavani start together. And I, I think if they do, I think they could win quite heavily. So I think if you're going for Ronaldo, you know, I think now's almost the best time to, to sort of go for it. Unless you want to wait until game week 16 where they play Norwich. And um, Newcastle and Burnley within five weeks. Right. Um, I, th- I think the formation that Manchester United play now really suits Ronaldo and the, the team as a whole. I think so. I, so. Know, yeah, I, think... I just thought it was interesting to quickly analyse that. I think Ronaldo, even though he hasn't been on form recently, I think is going to be a much better fixture going forward. Yeah. I think, and, as, and I want, because the thing with Ronaldo is that he thought it was a perfect formula in that he's coming to coming back to his boyhood club. He's coming to a club where he's revered and as a result, he's going to get all the attacking attention. So all the, the crosses, all the passes, forward passes and whatnot are going to go towards him. So he thought FPL-wise, guaranteed goals, guaranteed bonus points. And it hasn't really worked out like that, um, per se. I think after the first two games, three games, he has really been um i don't want to say he hasn't returned but it hasn't been easy for him to get returns in playing no. in the system i think one he of the other issues form. yeah and, we, and obviously because that has been much different in the champions league i think one of the issues um as well is that because of the amount of attention he receives that goes both ways so it only it does not only from manchester united's point of view where they're trying to get every ball at him but it's a defensive point of view from the other team where they're trying to stop him as much as possible getting the ball. If he does get the ball, make him get it at the halfway line or at the throwing line, the byline as much as possible, but don't let him get it in, a, in the in the last, in the box, in the, in the, in the final third, um, because then is when he's going to hurt you. 
Um, I think that's what teams are doing, especially with the lack of Cavani on top and um, lack of really target man in Greenwood, who's, who's more of a player to play off of the striker. He's getting double teamed a lot, or he's getting focused in on a lot. And as a result of that, he's not getting as much service. So I think where this changed the attacking lineup with the defensive lineup, so there are a lot more options going forward and not just Ronaldo as a focal point. I think that would actually work in his favor, where he would get a lot more open rather than him just being the, you know, the pinnacle at the top of the pyramid where everything goes towards him and all the defense has to do is shut him down and they'll shut down the attack, you know? So Absolutely, I think that yeah. moving forward would be a good change for them. Um, what did you think of, speaking on them, what did you think of the defensive um, the defensive performance going against Manchester City? As you mentioned, that game, they kept that same formation, but they mm. did concede two goals and it didn't look as convincing as they had done in the previous two games that you mentioned. What did you think of that performance, defensive-wise, anyway? So if, if I start by talking about the Tottenham game, I think that was the first time they'd used that formation. Mm-hmm. And as much as Tottenham's attack has been shaky at best, I think uh, United's defence in that game was 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 pretty good. Um, against City, I think every team is going to struggle, and especially you know a team who is starting out with a new formation. I do think that yeah, potentially they were going to struggle. But if you so. As part of these spreadsheets, I, I have um, expected goals conceded where it converts it to a clean sheet percentage. So against Tottenham, they had, if I quickly check my XGC, um, 0.88 XGC. So they were expected right. to concede less than a goal, which apart from their first two game weeks of the season was their best XGC. Um for about seven or eight game weeks, which really tells you something that, you know, they really focused on clamping down that defence. Um, and even against Manchester City, they had an XGC of 1.31. So in some respects, they were quite unlucky to concede two goals. Um, I think in both games, conceding one goal would have been fair. But then if you consider the fact that it's Tottenham and Manchester City... Mm-hmm. you can understand that conceding one goal, whoever you are, is perfectly possible. Um, and Manchester City, Manchester United, sorry, have had some fairly difficult kind of fixtures towards the start of the season. You know, they played West Ham, who we now have to consider might be a tough team. They played mm-hmm. Everton when, they, when Everton were on form. They played Liverpool in game week nine. Um, you know, Wolves and Southampton going forward have been fairly good you know they, they've played a lot of hard teams already and it's only now where their fixtures are starting to turn really good so although they've been i would say a tiny bit shaky against teams like tottenham and manchester city i don't really see it as a problem because i think when the fixtures turn really nice i think they'll have a lot more possession they've got a lot more technically talented players um and i i believe that they're gonna start bringing in some clean sheets you know i and i, I know it sounds crazy but i'm genuinely considering Shaw again with his new role as a wing back instead of a just a normal left back and two strikers as well right i, I genuinely believe he could be even more of a threat going forward what 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 do you make of the defense? You, you obviously watched the Manchester City game with Manchester United closer than I did. So what what did you make of the defense? Could could City have scored more? City should have scored more. Um, I have to let my bias come through just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, <laughs> they really they really should have scored more, and it, it it was just telling people people. Um, I think even accused Pep of making it seem as if um it was a training session. Because honestly, City had dominated. I want to get the let me get these stats in front of me so I can be very pointed. Mm-hmm. Then City dominated possession. I think they had over eight hundred passes um, for that entire game. I think it was the most passes Manchester United had ever conceded in the Old Trafford Stadium. 
since I think 2000, 2003, one of those stats. It was really an exhibition of possession-based football from Manchester City's point of view. That, and if you check the stats, you will see that David De Gea, especially in the first half, pulled off at least three or four saves. But I think the stat that was very, very telling of the disparity between the teams in that game, even though it was only 2-0, was the fact that mm. David De Gea had to save more shots on target from his own Manchester Manchester United players than that of Manchester United on Edison. In that, there were two shots on target from Manchester United players on their own goal, one of them being the own goal from Bailly and the other one being um, uh, uh, a failed clearance, if you want to call it that, um, from Lindelof, which went, which should have scored as well, but it was a great save from De Gea. Um, and contrast that to the only shot on target from Manchester United for the entire game, being that Ronaldo shot, I think, um, early in the first half. That's that couple where they start that Edison didn't face a shot at goal, I think, for 83 minutes of that game. And the fact that for after that shot on goal from Ronaldo, there was no, I think, touch in Manchester City's box for the remainder of the game. So this is not only 45 minutes. It's 45 minutes plus the second half of the first half after the Ronaldo shot attempt on target. Manchester United didn't get a touch in Manchester City's box at all. It wasn't like a pass. It wasn't like they got a shot off target. They didn't even get a touch in the box. So this just goes to show that, especially that second half, you could tell Man City really um, took their foot off the gas. They were really just passing it around. Manchester United weren't even pressing. They tried to start to press in the first half. It didn't really work because people weren't committed. And you know, when you have a attacking formation, which includes um, Ronaldo and Fernandes, you're not going to get much pressing from them anyway. It just really wasn't as convincing as the other, their other performances. I think it, it really just boils down to their mentality. And it looked like they were just, they were just trying to get a, a clean sheet or uh, a point out of that game, if anything, at most. And then especially after that second goal, where Bernardo Silva was able to sneak behind both the um, De Gea and Shaw, who both should have gotten some kind of contact to the ball and gotten it out. Um, and should have never let Bernardo Silva score from that sort of angle. It really deflated mm-hmm. them. That's why it was really poor. It was really poor. I wasn't um, impressed too much at all from their defenders, United, from United's defenders. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because obviously, I suppose it depends really how you read the stats. Um, uh, it depends how Manchester United were setting up, whether they were playing, you know, Sam Allardyce style, 11 players behind the ball, maybe trying to get it up Ronaldo on, to Ronaldo unsuccessfully. Um, right. Or whether they were really trying to play their own way. So I, I, the impression I'm getting is that Manchester United stuck nine or ten players behind the ball, maybe left Ronaldo and Cavani up there. and uh, I don't think Cavani didn't play. Sorry, Ronaldo no. and Greenwood, sorry, yeah. uh, up there and defended with nine players behind the ball, gave Manchester City the possession and worked to try and get a counter-attack, albeit unsuccessfully. Um, it looked like that. It did look like that. So let me I give think... you the... Yeah, go on. Um, just before... Yeah, just before you continue, let me give you the stats that I have in front of me, right? So for the game, the possession was 67.4 to 32.6. You can tell who dominated there. Five shots on target from Manchester City to one yeah. shot on target from United. 16 mm. shots in total from Manchester City to only five from United. 977 touches of the ball from City to only 547 from Manchester United. And this is the stat that I was referring to earlier. 832 passes from Manchester City, which is over double <laughs> what Manchester United could have accomplished, which was 400 on the dot. That just goes to show you the, the level of possession that Manchester City had. It was to a point where it was standstill from Manchester United. Um, so tackles, Nidhi Hena there, 18 United, 12 City. 22 clearances from United, so you know how many times they had to clear the ball. Only to five from Man City. City had more corners and the offside. So you, just, you can see that as much as you don't want to read too much into stats all the time, the stats do paint the picture perfectly in this instance where Man City were very dominant in almost all aspects of the game. And it was really clear that 
if they were going to get anything else with the game, Manchester United, they were going to get it from like either a clean sheet and a draw or uh, some sort of counter-attack goal and a mistake from a defender, which was nowhere near coming. Does that show, do you think the absolute dominance of Manchester City, you know, hence why statistically they should be top of the table, or does it show the shortcomings of Manchester United? Or both. Question. I think because I, when I did the predictions, one of the predictions I made was that United was going to score. I predicted 3 1. Um, and that was mainly due to my, you know, I didn't believe entirely at that point that Man City were completely impenetrable defensively, <laughs> especially after that um, Crystal Palace game. But <clears throat> I would have to also give some of the. Um, I can't say that it was totally dependent on Man City being completely dominant. I think it did it did very much expose the shortcomings of Man City, of Manchester United because even though they beat Tottenham three 0 they had that um, draw against Atlanta in the UCL. The shortcomings were there from since the Liverpool game, and that was big, like it was huge in your face, exposed from a team that is known from scoring. Uh, at least two goals a game, which is Liverpool, and they're very rampant when they do score, they will score a lot. Um, so I think coming into the game, we expected Man City to at least be on a dominant size possession-wise, because that's something you do almost against anybody. But we didn't expect, and I didn't expect, you know, it's on it's on tape, I didn't expect City to score and not concede and then dominate the way they did um, at Manchester United home, more or less. So I think it's more to do with the shortcomings of United setup. Um, because you can't, um, playing against a City side, you're going to have to be prepared to run. That's the first thing. One of Pep's um, tactics is that he, use, he uses the width of the pitch as much as he can with the wingers that he has and the fullbacks that he has. Um, so it, in essence, if he finds or if the team finds that one one wing is working, like against Liverpool when we, when we had the two-all draw, when Foden was going up against Milner, they attack that wing. So they every time the ball was at, the, at Diaz's foot or Laporte's foot or Rodri's foot, they were always looking towards Foden's side. That's how Foden ended up scoring because they attacked Foden, um, Foden's side because they knew that that matchup was favorable for him against Milner because Milner was nowhere near keeping up with him and most of the time had to either foul him or um, ask one of the centre-backs to cover for him because he just couldn't keep up with Foden. And that's what happened, obviously, against Manchester United because the passes were going diagonally, side to side, and Manchester United's press was very horrible. And it was getting to the point where when MF Cancelo got the ball, even when he got the ball to cross in for um, Bernardo Silva to score, he had acres of space. He had time to take a touch, set his feet, look up, see when Bernardo Silva's run, put the ball behind the defenders, and end up letting Bernardo Silva get in. So in that instance, the setup was poor in that they didn't all commit to the press, which is something that is key in a press. That, and they set up badly from the beginning. If you set up against a City team that is coming to attack you and you defend, 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 then inevitably you're going to concede shots, you're going to concede um, a lot of big chances, you're going to give up possession a lot easier because all the players are behind the ball and there's nobody to outlet to. And if you're outletting to one person, then all theirs and... Stones have to do is just double double him and ensure he doesn't get the ball. And it's going to become very difficult for you to leave your own half, which is what happened. So I think it is just a bad setup going at a City team at your home, more or less. Like I really felt that they would have come out and tried to defend home too because it's the noisy neighbours, it's the age-old rivalry. You would have expected a better um, output from Manchester United, which didn't come. So I think that's mainly what, what happened with that defence there. Yeah, no, I think it's very interesting that you said about um, when they stick 10, 10, 11 men behind the ball that they're always going to concede against a team like Man City because I noticed that in another game as well. So when West Ham played Liverpool this weekend, just gone, um, West Ham obviously won the game 3-2 and initially they took the lead. So I think about 17 minutes in, West Ham went 1-0 up and in the first half, they, after they scored, they sat back, they put 10 men behind the ball and they tried not to concede. And against teams like Liverpool and Manchester City, if you do that, like you said, you will concede. And sure enough, it literally only took uh, Liverpool maybe 
20, 25 minutes to score one back against West Ham. And that was at West Ham throwing 10 men behind the ball and playing on the counter. So I think it shows that against any team that's good at attacking, you don't want to be putting 10 men behind the ball because you will just concede. So when... Um, and, it, and it showed it was that because in the second half, West Ham came out and attacked Liverpool. And that's when Liverpool conceded again and again. So these teams are weak um, to being dominated. But if you're not prepared to give it a go or prepared to sacrifice a goal, maybe to score two, then like Manchester United, what happened to Manchester United, you'll concede two and you'll score zero. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that a lot of the time when you sit back 10 men behind the ball, unless you're doing it really, really well, or perfectly, basically, against a team mm-hmm. like City or, or Liverpool, you will concede. And I think I can end up on this point by stating that um, this was another perfect example of this was last season when we played Leeds. Leeds is the perfect example of what a small team, at least the mentality, because obviously mm-hmm. personal-wise, um, and the coach-wise will be different. But mentality-wise is the mentality I think some teams would really have against the bigger clubs. Because Leeds went to Man City in their home, you know, fans, less than all, um, and said, you know what, we're going to go after Man City. And I think they scored first. That was the game. Um, I think many people benched Dallas because Dallas had those, in those days was a defender. And yeah. there was almost no way of him keeping a clean sheet and against Man City. he scored two, didn't he? Or did he, he assist two? Scored he both. scored both. Yeah, I remember that. 18 that, points on my bench, Dallas had. 21 he ended up with because he got all three bonus points. Oh, he got bonus points as well, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I had him on my bench as well, but he came in, thankfully, because the grace of God was on my side at that time. And he, I think I had two injuries in my team, and he was able to come in with somebody else being injured on my bench. Because he wasn't even second or, third, uh, or first on my bench either. That's <laughs> the next thing. Um, But he still ended up coming in. But my point was that Man City scored in response which was expected but that was only after Leeds went down to 10 men in the first half because that's what made the game even more interesting the fact that Leeds went up then they conceded a red card at the end of the first half Man City pressed and you know obviously they don't have to ask twice to press against 10 men Man City pressed and pressed and pressed and I think only 75th minute Fran Torres scored we were like, okay, this is about the time where they're going to turn around and then get two or three more. And then, um, out of nowhere, Dallas shoots up the pitch. I think he gets um, two passes from the keeper to him. And he goes by, glides by, um, I think it was Diaz or one of the defenders, and gets one-on-one at Edison and scores. And that was just because the Leeds never gave up the opportunity of winning this game. They always had that you know, tenacity of going to those bigger teams and getting a result, not just sitting back and hoping for the rest, you know? And that's the problem I had at that United game was because as much as, you know, you love beating the, the rivals, I really didn't I really didn't see a, a football game of two clubs wanting to win the game, you know? It was more of a, uh, the, the, the club that was informed, the club that was expected to win came in, did what they had to do. But the club that was, um that is, well, you know, the biggest club in England, trophy-wise, and... One of the most recognized clubs around the world didn't put up a fight. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And I think when a club does that, there's clearly something, something awry with you know, not necessarily the management of the club, but just the way they're they're kind of thinking and the way they're taking things. Um, you know, obviously something needs to change, and whether that is recognizing the the new formation they're playing or um you know maybe a management change although you know i'm sure ollie has ollie sorry has the uh capability to change them some something needs to change because at the moment they're not going to win a trophy by putting 10 men behind the ball against big teams exactly and, and and hoping for results however we must make the mention that this was kind of what was happening last season, and just that um, they were cranking out results otherwise, which is what saved them, uh, Manchester United, I'm speaking of, because um, there was this Achilles heel when it came to the big six teams, especially with Fernandez doing his charge last season. It was um, very well known that 
um, against the big six team, especially Fernandez, you wouldn't play him because I expected him to go quiet. If he would score, I think he scored two goals against the big six for all the games he played against them, which those two goals are um, penalties. Um, outside of that, I don't think he has a return attacking-wise as yet against a big six club. So it is. it has been something that has been around since last season where they would go a little quiet. Um, even last season, they, they conceded four against a Liverpool team that weren't the best. I think it was 4-2, where um, Liverpool, I think, were missing Van Dijk, they were missing Matip, they were missing um, Joe Gomez. That's the, the season, last season, where they had so many injuries. I think Henderson was out and all. So it was really, really eye-opening to see them concede four to a team that missed so many key players, especially defensively. And then only scored two in response. So it has it has been something that has followed them. So I we would wait to see what the what the changes are because as you said they have Chelsea coming up um, before they get run of fixtures. So we really have to see if they make a chance because right now, um, based on form, Arsenal is a better team than them. Yeah. Could you um, could you could you repeat that last line that you said? I think it cut out slightly. I cut out. Yeah, uh, I was saying that based on form, like recent form, Arsenal as a club has been doing much better than them. Yeah. No, Arsenal. Arsenal's form has looked an awful lot better. It's shown in their performances as well. It has helped. I think recently they've had a bit more of a an easier fixture run. So obviously they've had. Aston Villa and Watford in their last three. Um, I think the testing time for them is going to be from game week 15, where they play some of the current top 10 all in a row. And uh, especially from, I don't know, a long way away now, but game week 24, when they play uh, four of the top five all in a row as well. Um, but I think yeah. Mikel Arteta's onto something because the way Arsenal are playing at the moment, they look threatening when they attack, especially with um, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Aubameyang, Pe- um, not Pepe, uh, Lacazette when he plays, and Pepe when he plays, to be fair. They all look uh, cohesive. They all look like they working together to score a goal, which is uh, nice to see in some respects. Although as a West Ham fan, it's a bit eh. <laughs> <laughs> right. I liked it when they weren't doing so well. Yeah, yeah, we all did, don't worry. We all did. Um... <laughs> But yeah, and it and it's a testament, I think, to change in ideology as well. Because I think originally Arsenal weren't really that high energy when it came to the game in general. One of the things that I've seen that has been different is the fact that, I, especially in the first half, and I predicted a first half goal, I was wrong on that too. But um, Arsenal have been doing a lot better at starting the games well and setting the tempo. And one of the things that they've been doing to do that is this very high energy press that has been coming from everybody. So one of the things that is lacking when it comes to good press is the intentionality of every single player. That is a part of the press. And if that doesn't work, then the press will fail. But if you press with your attacking players included that are going after the ball and sticking to the man and running back, it will work because the energy and the um, the focus on the ball will eventually lead to a mistake, which is, what, this is the philosophy of um, Pep when it comes to City losing the ball, is that you swarm the ball, you swarm the ball handler, and you swarm his positions or his options to pass out, which is usually why a lot of um, misplaced passes happen in teams' own half when playing against City, because City just press so intensely as soon as they lose the ball. And I'm seeing similarities a lot in Arsenal in that they're pressing a lot more and their intensity is a lot higher. And then obviously when they have the ball, they're doing a lot more offensively in that they're getting their better players on the ball a lot more. So yeah. I, I think it remains to see. And I think my test would be Liverpool, which is why, let's um, swing it back to FPL for a minute, um, which is why I'm tempted to keep Smith Rowe, because I know we're both Smith Rowe owners. What do you think is going to be your move, especially with this Liverpool game? Are you going to keep him, play him, bench him, and wait for the next um, favourable fixture? Um, and or are you gonna consider selling him? Uh no. I obviously because I'm wild carding in game week fourteen. Any player that I buy now is for me. I'm sort of 
uh, what's the word, sort of uh, killing my team into game week 13. So any fixtures after game week 13 are non-existent to me, effectively, until it comes to the game week 14 wildcard. Right. Um, so every, I think, especially given Liverpool's defensive uh, fragilities at the moment, I think I'm going to play Smith Rowe in this coming game. I think he could get something as well. Uh, I I would bet get, bet with him uh, to sort of do something against Henderson and Fabinho or whoever's playing in that defensive midfield role. And I think at the moment, you know, Matip or whoever's playing Konate in that other centre-back role to Van Dijk seem a little bit fragile, a bit weak. Uh, I think that's where defensively they're going to struggle. And I don't see right. any reason why if West Ham can't put three past Liverpool and Brighton can't put two past them, that uh, Arsenal can put one or two past them as well. But um, yeah. just going back to the way Arsenal play, interestingly, I think another big, big thing for them has been the signing, well, the free signings, really, of Ramsdale, Tommy Asu and um, Ben White. Because those yeah. three players have been, they've obviously been upgrades on uh, Leno, Holding and Maitland-Niles. So they, those are three big improvements. And you can really see, obviously, especially with Ramsdale, that Arsenal have looked a lot better defensively as well. So I'm not even sure it's going to be a massively easy game for Salah, Jota and Mane. I'm not there. If Mane plays because he's injured at the moment, I think. Yeah, so is. I think it'd be a very interesting test for Arsenal. And I could see Arsenal maybe even, you know, drawing a win in that game, um, which I think could be interesting. On that note, should we move on to potentially some predictions from last week and maybe making some predictions for next week? Yeah, definitely. Um, I didn't, however, get to write them down. But if we can just probably rack our brains a little bit. See if we I, I, I know that I only got one correct, I think, and that was Southampton-Aston Villa. I think I've said 1-0 to Southampton. I think that came in... Um, my worst one definitely was uh, I predicted Manchester United to win. Yeah, one night. That, that, that was okay, a poor move. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, was... I think. Um, didn't you? I think you also predicted Liverpool to win. If I'm if I'm correct, right? Quite possibly. Yeah, I don't regret that one quite as much as a West Ham fan. I thought Liverpool would uh, stick a few past us. To be fair. Yeah, which I mean, in fairness, they did, um, and I should have had three. Very Unless true. if it wasn't for um, Manny, so I oh, I can see that. Um, I am. It does hurt me that I did get the the clean sheet wrong with Man Manchester United Man City because it did affect my FPL team in that I left Diaz on the bench. Thankfully, though, I had um Trent coming with his big points in his game. Um, I predicted a. I think I predicted a one all draw. No, you predicted a one all draw for the Brentford Norwich game. I thought Brentford were, were, would, would win out, I think, 2-0, two, two so I got that one wrong. I also thought that Chelsea was going to keep a clean sheet against Burnley. Um, so I got that one wrong because I thought it would be a 1-0, but a completely dominant 1-0, um, to quote myself. And I also didn't think that the defender would score, so I got that one completely wrong. Um, <laughs> and I thought the reverse of the Crystal Palace results, I thought Wolves would have won. Especially seeing that I'm a Jimenez owner, I really expected Jimenez to at least get a goal. Thankfully, though, I didn't um, try anything mad and captain him because he was on my radar because of the fixture to try and maybe get a, a differential captain. Thankfully, I didn't do that. Um, but yeah, so I think we can, because I have the fixtures here. What I'll have to do though is write them down as you say them. Do you have anything that you could note um, our predictions so we could keep them? Yes, the next I do. Podcast? Yeah. I'll keep them on my notes. Let's I have the pictures here. Right, so let's get into them right away. The Leicester-Chelsea game is going to be a very interesting game. What do you think is going to be out the outcome? It's quite difficult doing this before the uh, international break has concluded, isn't it? Because if James and Chilwell both play 90 minutes twice for England, does that mean that Alonso and potentially Azpilicueta get some more minutes? I'm not entirely sure. and But then again, will they be playing for Spain? I'm not sure. Let, what um, we could I, do, though, 
what we could do is make the make the um predictions as if the teams that played from last game week play. And if next week, because we have, I think this week is starting on Saturday, right? Once yeah. we get to make this record the next episode on Friday, we'll then be able to make adjustments if anything happens between now and then. So I think we could mm. go ahead like that. Yeah, my prediction is going to be Chelsea to beat Leicester 2-0. This is going to be interesting because I, I expect that, and the thing with Leicester is that they're very interesting going up against the top six team in that they... The way they play always fits into the way the top, top six team plays. In that, they give up possession. They're not too concerned about keeping the ball as much. What they are concerned with, though, is getting either one of Madison or Tielemans on the ball and looking for out that pass to, to Vardy on the counter-attack. <clears throat> but Chelsea has been a great defensive team, so I would not be surprised if, if Leicester Blanc and Vardy has not been in the greatest um, run a form lately either but I don't think that Chelsea would run away with it offensively as much so I think 1-0 to Chelsea would be my um, prediction okay um, sounds right. good so the next one is Aston Villa Brighton for me that screams 0-0 I think uh, Gerard being the new Aston Villa manager will hopefully put some defensive performances in where they haven't had as many recently. And I think Brighton being a defensive team as well, I can't see that being anything but a nil-nil. But, you know, what, it could be a one-all, something like that. Um, but I'm saying nil-nil is my prediction. Mm. I might go, I might want to go the opposite direction here and say there will be a result. I think with the new manager, I just want to feed into the bias just a little bit just to see if I um, get this correctly. But I do see... Aston Villa getting an uptick in their results. And I do see um, possibly Aston Villa scoring. I agree with you, but Brighton can also score. So I will give that a 2-1 to, um, to Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. I think that they will... I think they're playing home too. I think that will um, there will be a revival. And I just think that the energy might be different. I think Steven Gerrard will be able to get something out of them. And I think they want to impress the new boss. So 2-1 to Aston Fuller. Burnley, Crystal Palace. For me, that's a one-all. So that, that's quite an interesting one because Burnley have played a bit better over the last couple of games than they have over the first eight. I think that, especially as Burnley are at home, I think they're going to make it hard for Crystal Palace to score. I think Palace will score, but I think Burnley will score as well. So I'm going to go one-all for that one. Yeah, I think I'm a good deal. However, I I want to give the edge to Crystal Palace just because the results that they've been getting have been against um mm. some tougher opponents and with the form of Gallagher and the recent uprise in performances at Zaha in particular, who you know is going to be very um, vital in their season as it goes along. I think Crystal Palace have something with me. I think uh, Patrick Vieira is onto something, so I'm going to give them two one. Because I know Burnley has always, you know, that chance of getting that one goal. But 2-1 to Crystal Palace. 2-1 to Crystal yeah. Palace. Okay. Uh, the next one is Newcastle-Brentford. And I for me, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to go big on this one. I'm going to say 3-0 to Newcastle. I think that, especially with Raya being out, and uh, I was going to bring this up earlier, I think with Raya being out, I think that Brentford have a very strong chance now of getting relegated. That's a big statement, but... I think the relationship that Raya had with the rest of the team was quite understated. So I think now that he's out, I think they could possibly lose this one, especially how they lost to Norwich 2-1. Norwich don't really score a lot of goals. I think Newcastle could put two or three past them with Eddie Howe, Callum Wilson. You know, I, th- I think they could be strong. I can't see Brentford really getting anything out of it. So it's 3-0 three, three to Newcastle for me on that one. I think... Because it is up, up and down. But I, I do agree with you. Ever since Rhea's um, injury, Brentford have not looked like the same team. Um, and especially defensively, they've been conceding goals to teams that you really wouldn't expect them to concede to. Um, so in that instance, I would agree with you that Newcastle will win, but I will go 2-0. Um, hopefully, I, I get this right and I picked um, I picked Wilson and he scores both goals. <laughs> 
Well, if I go Wilson, I'm hoping he scores all three if uh, my prediction comes in. <laughs> yeah, we'll both be happy. Uh, Norwich. Game. Yeah, Norwich, Norwich, Southampton. Norwich, Southampton. For me, that's a 2-0 to Southampton, although I'm a bit worried that Norwich have gained a little bit of uh, momentum after their victory against Brentford. I still think that Southampton are a defensively good team. So, I, yeah, I think a normal 2-0 to Southampton. Yeah, I think I want to see a, I wanna see a, a, a defensive performance from Southampton. Um, I think their performance against the Brentford was like against a Brentford team that right now has, hasn't really adjusted to the rear injury. So it might just be one of those outlying results. Um, and then I think one of the goals they scored was a penalty, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Norwich. So it wasn't um, too mind-changing for me. So I would go 2-0 as well, Southampton. <laughs> Okay. Uh, the next one is Watford Manchester United. Now this one is interesting because um, Manchester United will not be going into this game with that much confidence um, after the last game. But I do believe that they will look at this game. I mean, they know Ali how he does every time his job is on the line. He pulls out some sort of performance from somewhere, um, and they will look at this performance. I mean, this fixture as a fixture to create a statement because they they, they will need to give some sort of justification as to why um, they believe that they can still contend for a title or they can still contend in general. And I really do believe that some of the players playing for United, especially Ronaldo, is going to look at this and, and think, all right, I need to really stamp my authority on this. So I will go big here and say 3-0 to Watford, although I don't... I will not rule out the possibility of Watford getting a free goal. But my prediction would be um, 3-0 to Manchester United. Mm, I've wrote down exactly that scoreline as well. I've said 3-0 to Manchester United too. Uh, I think it could be a good week for Ronaldo and Cavani. Both be. of them to, to get something from that. Yeah. The next game after that is Wolves-West Ham. Well, you know, obviously, I have to let the resident tell my stand fan go first in this. That is very true. Okay, so my prediction for that, and this this will come back to bite me in in the backside, I'm sure, because every time I predict West Ham to win, they lose. But I've gone with uh, Wolves nil, West Ham three. Um, oh, okay. Although I, hmm, I think I'm going to change that because I think Wolves will score. So I'm going to go Wolves one, West Ham three. I think if West Ham can stick three past a team like Liverpool and you know they, they, they've stuck two or three past a lot of good teams this season I don't see why they couldn't do it against Wolves the only problem is that obviously Ogbonna went off injured for West Ham uh, and it looks like he's going to be out for quite a long time six months plus uh, for me that suggests that West Ham might concede with because I don't think Craig Dawson is quite as good as uh, Ogbonna was so I think maybe Jimenez will get a goal so I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to say right. Wolves 1, West Ham 3. Mm. You see, the issue with this is that I haven't been watching too many of Wolves games. I've just been seeing the results. I'm not too sure of how mm. they've been looking of late. Um, but the fact that they, didn't, they, haven't, they weren't able to score at all against Crystal Palace is a little concerning to me, attacking-wise. Um, especially against a West Ham team who, but right now, are flying, to be honest with you, and um, are playing very good football. Um... I wouldn't be surprised, as you said, if West Ham completely dominated the game. But I will give it a little more, I don't know, a close-ish finish. In that Wolves would probably look at this game as a game to at least get some sort of result in. Because they're going to feel as if it's an opportunity for them to go. And they need some points after that Crystal Palace blank. So I'm going to go 2-1 to West Ham. 2-1 to West Ham. Okay. I really do need that um, him and as we turn. What about Liverpool Arsenal? Now, as we mentioned on this earlier, both Arsenal and Liverpool, particularly Arsenal, have been looking great of late. Um, the thing is, for me, their results have not been against opposition that would be quite eye-opening. So it has it has been against a City or a Liverpool, which are playing now, or even a Manchester United. So, I would want to 
saying Liverpool is going to win this outright, but I'm not going to put it past an Arsenal team to pull out the result, especially on the, on the format that's been going on. I do expect Smith Rowe to have an ex- uh, some sort of appearance, some sort of an effect in the game. It doesn't have to directly be a goal, but something is going to come from that area of the field, especially with Liverpool's um, fragilities. So I am going to go Liverpool, and I'm going to say Liverpool are going to get three. Um, it's going to be end to end game and Arsenal will get one. So 3 1 to Liverpool. Okay. I've gone with a slightly more conservative scoreline. I went with Liverpool 1, Arsenal 0. Just because I think that after conceding two against Brighton and three against West Ham, I think Jurgen's going to really push keeping a clean sheet in his next game. I think he's going to realise that he can't concede five goals in two games sustainably. But I think he's going to try and shut Arsenal out. And I think, I, I don't think Arsenal quite have the quality to score against Liverpool. I hope they do for Smith Rowe's sake, although Alexander Arnold loses his clean sheet. Yeah. But I think Liverpool will put one past Arsenal. I think it'll probably be Salah. Yeah. Um, uh, the next one is Manchester United Everton. And I've, I'll let you go first for this one as the Manchester yeah, City Everton. Yeah, um, this game presents a whole conglomeration of opportunities because I don't know if Pep is going to play his strongest team and his strongest team being um, the team that played against Manchester United. I think that's our strongest team going forward, um, based on current form anyway, because Rodri yeah. and Co have been excellent. Um, the only real issue with that statement could be that Stones are just coming, but Stones look very consistent as he did last season um i don't see that team starting though which is the only issue i have but i do see the city team that whatever city team is post post up um that team's gonna go and look to get the results because what usually happens is that pep is gonna look for any opportunity to sub off players that he's gonna use for the psg game so he's gonna push on them to get the result um confirmed early so you, you might see a lot of earlier chances and early goals in this game coming from Citizen. Everton has not been as convincing. So I honestly, if they do score, it would be a little surprise to me, especially seeing City's defensive um, results once they all have been um, on pitch, not with Sunny, the Crystal Palace game. So I'm going to go 2-0 to Manchester City with Asterix being that they would potentially have the opportunity of scoring a lot more. Okay, that's interesting. I've I've gone with um, 4-0 to Manchester City. I think at the moment for me, Everton are, like you said, quite off form. They haven't been scoring many goals. Yeah. And I don't think their defence is as good as Manchester United has been. Uh, so I, I think they'll probably stick a couple more past Everton. And I think... I don't know why. I just get the feeling it'll be quite a big scoreline because I think Everton won't park 11 players behind the ball. I think Everton might try and go for it as well with, uh, you know, Townsend, Gray. I think they could commit a a load of bodies forward when they do attack. And that's going to leave them susceptible to Manchester City's attack threat. So I I think Manchester City 4, Everton nils where I've gone. Um, But finally, Tottenham leads. Uh, For that one, I've gone with 2-1 to Tottenham. And... My reason for that is that I think Conte could get Tottenham playing particularly well. Um, I don't know if you're keeping up with it, but the England scoreline right now is 5-0. Harry Kane scored a hat-trick. So he's clearly capable of um, scoring goals at the moment. Uh, It'll just be whether Conte can get that out of him. So... I'm thinking possibly a Harry Kane goal and a Sun goal because Leeds yeah. haven't been great defensively. I think where Tottenham have got their fragilities at the back, I still think you know Rafinha could score one or maybe Rodrigo or something like that could still get a late goal against Tottenham. But I think overall, yeah, I think 2-1 to Tottenham is a, a good scoreline. Where are you going? Yeah, I think... I think I am um, a little on your side on that, but I don't see Tottenham winning the game though. And the, reason, the only reason for that is because Leeds have been playing a brand of football, as they always have. 
where they are always going after that next goal. Even if they do concede, they are going after the next goal. And I do see Tottenham, unless, you know, I see Conte really revitalizing that defense, I do see them conceding. So I was going to go, and I'm going with one all Tottenham leads. I think it's going to be an end to end game where Leeds is not going to back down. They are going to run through Rafina, and I'm hoping that Rafina returns. I do see Tottenham scoring, but I don't see them winning the game. Okay. That's interesting, to be fair. Mm-hmm. I guess we won't know next week, but the the following week we will we will have our answers. Yeah, we will. Um, so on that note, should we leave it there? I think we should. Um, I think it was a good episode. I think we've gone we've gone much longer than the last one, so that's good. That's a good sign. Yeah, it's getting I agree. Finally, your 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 bet this week was Wilson. I'm going with Benteke uh, probably. So I think next week, maybe after the international break, we can relook at those players, make sure they haven't got injured. And uh, yeah. that will be our transfer day, I'm guessing. Friday, Saturday. Probably could do so, it again, yeah. Yeah. So thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we'll leave it there for now. And uh, we'll catch up with you guys next week.